We've been on this uh, bit of a study. Uh, we just started actually last week and we'll continue it through the summer. But um, uh, this little study on um, uh, God's righteous reign. And we're looking at, we kind of began that, kicked the ball on that last week. We're going to get back into that a little bit this week in Isaiah 65. Now, so that you know, because I know that you guys keep up with us, and that's a good thing. So we'll be in Michigan next week, and Paul is going to talk about Abraham's wives? Kids. His kids. You've already talked about the wives. Okay, that's right. You're going to talk about Abraham's kids, and your prep for study next week is Galatians 4. Okay, so that's, that's a great assignment. I always look forward to Paul teaching, and um, anyway... Uh, we're going to get uh, quite a bit of, of that this summer, and that, that'll be good. Now, here's what I want you to do. So uh, here's your assignment around the table for a minute, okay? Um, uh, this is a dangerous question, all right? What's the best thing you remember about uh, 20, uh, the 20s and, uh, 2020 and 2021 when we couldn't get together? Okay, you remember the pandemic? You remember that? Remember that thing? Okay. What's the best thing that you remember? Is there anything about that whole experience, awful as it was, that you remember well, that you remember that was good? Okay. Talk about that around your table for a minute. Okay. Okay, I see some of you staring back at me, so I'm curious. Uh, you know, some of you, some of us, got desperately sick during that time, and, and in fact, we, we lost some dear people during that time, so we don't remember that uh, well, and we, we really shouldn't. But maybe there were some good things that came out of that, Brian? We could go to church in our underwear, and we didn't even have to shower. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't have to brush your teeth to go to church. Yeah. All right. Allie? I got out of the You know what? I forgot that came during that time, didn't it? Yeah, that's, that's great news. Uh, for me, as you're thinking some more, for me, um, uh, there was a period of that time that Rhonda was working at one end of the house and I was working at the other end of the house, and we got to eat lunch together. We have never, our whole adult lives, eaten lunch together, except rarely. Um, and that was just kind of, that was very cool. But you looked forward to 11.45 or whatever and, and meeting in the kitchen. Um, um, uh, I, I remember affectionately uh, when the weather was kind of like today, working on the patio a bit. And I'm going to embarrass one of my dear friends. And I remember video chats with Walter. You and I videoed each other quite a bit during that time. Remember that? <laughs> What you just saw is he doesn't remember as fondly what I do. Okay. <laughs> but we did. Huh? Did you have to wear pants? Yeah. I did wear pants, yeah. yeah. Sometimes short pants, Ellie, but pants, yeah. Well, uh, so we're in the middle of, you could argue, we're in the middle of kind of a. Uh, uh, a resurgence, you could call it 
a recreation of our world since then, although it's a really modest one. And that's what we're talking about today in places like Isaiah 65, of this idea that God is recreating the world. And, uh, and um, um, so... Um, if, you, if you were to go back and read Isaiah 63 to 66, now there's a lot of words in there, but um, uh, that's kind of one unit of thought from um, the 66 chapters of Isaiah. Uh, these chapters kind of echo the problem of human failings that are addressed in um, Isaiah 56 and 59, but they don't stop there. In fact, today, um, Isaiah goes on to add elements of hope because of the power of God. I think that's, there's some of that in, in the world in which we live today. There's a lots of horrible things going on. But there, I'm trying to find snippets of hope in uh, what we're going through as well. Uh, the backdrop of what they were going through is, um, again, um, the people are not looking forward to, but Babylonian captivity... Sorry, man, I'm having trouble talking today. Babylonian captivity is coming. Uh, Isaiah is in the 8th century uh, B.C., and Babylonian captivity is going to come in about 586. So a lot of the detail we get from this, it's like, okay, how did, how did he know that? Well, it's because God told him that. Um, uh, and... Um, Anyway, the northern tribes had been um, kind of overrun by the Assyrians in 722. They had seen that, um, and but the uh, Babylonian um, dominance in the south in Judah, to whom Isaiah was primarily writing, uh, came and it was, began in about 609, and uh, they kind of tightened things up in about 597, and then. Um, Wholesale exile begins in 586 B.C. And Isaiah is looking forward, interestingly, not only to that time. He's predicting that. But what we're looking at today, he's predicting what comes after that, which I find just phenomenal from a guy writing a couple hundred years before. Now, um, uh, so uh, that's kind of what we'll get into today. Now, um, uh Let's think for just a minute here, okay, about what this is going to tell us. Now, what, what you and I have got to understand, I think, as we read what we're going to read today, our, our temptation will be to think of what we're going to read about here. Um, the, the temptation will be to think about, okay, this is talking about heaven. This is talking about eternity. And there is a degree to which that is true. You'll see elements of this that... Certainly fit that. But I think we're going to have to resist the temptation to only see it that way because it's predominantly and primarily talking about a recreation that's going to happen when the people come back from exile in Babylon. You, can, you and I can read about those kind of things that actually happen in places like Nehemiah and Ezra and even Jeremiah and um, Ezekiel and some of those other places. So we're going to kind of look at some of that today. Now, now, as we begin to read verse 17, I'm going to have Cindy, if she will, read 17, 18, and 19 in a minute. This is the beginning of a poem, kind of a new poem. Cindy, would you read 17, 18, and 19 from Isaiah 65? See, I will create new heavens and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. 
but be glad and rejoice forever in what I will create, for I will create Jerusalem to be a delight, and its people a joy. I will rejoice over Jerusalem and take delight in my people. The sound of weeping and of crying will be heard in it no more. Yep. Are you having the same kind of trouble I'm having these days of remembering things? <laughs> Maybe I'm the only one in the room, you know. Um, I need to publicly apologize because I think I called Don Bernard George or something a few minutes ago. I, you know, I'm Don's name as well as I know my own. But you and I were on the patio this morning. I was reading and we were drinking coffee and we're talking about our next door neighbor who we go back and forth, Dan. His name is Don, but... Uh, occasionally we call him Dan, and we're kind of, okay, so I'm, I'm having trouble remembering stuff. Are you? Uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> okay, so um, this poem that begins is about a coming radically different reality than they're going to experience, uh, and I said it's likely not uh, about the revelation of a new heaven and earth when all things uh, pass away. But it's talking about the end of, the ba of Babylon's rule. That's going to be such a drastic change for them that this new creation sounds like heaven. Now, so the word that goes in your blank, what he introduces here is kind of what I'm going to call a holy Amnesia. Amnesia. Now, I want um, to illustrate this. I need somebody, if you will, to go to Jeremiah 15, 15. Who go to Jer Thank you, Karen. Jeremiah 15, 15. And um, I need somebody else to go in, in, um, here in Isaiah to 43, 25. Okay, Allie, can you find that? Just go back a couple of pages. Uh, Isaiah 43, 25. Now, listen to what the Bible says, um, what Jeremiah says about the punishment that's coming that's, right, that's rightful. Jeremiah uh, 15, 15, Karen. You understand, O Lord, remember me and care for me. Avenge me on my persecutors. You are long-suffering. Do not take me away. Think of how I suffer reproach for your sake. Okay, now catch this. He's saying, remember me. Remember me. Allie, can you read uh, Isaiah 43, verse 25? Yes. I, yes, I alone will blot out your sins for my own sake and will never think of them again. Yeah, sometimes the prophets say, remember us. Here and uh, in, a, in a place or two with Jeremiah and Isaiah earlier. There is a holy amnesia involved in this. A, a new kind of amnesia. Um, uh, in, in the passage we're looking at today, in verse 17, the idea here is um, it's going to be so much better you'll forget how bad it was. I've not lived through a whole lot of that in my life, have you? Now, okay, I've got to say it this way, okay? I, I, this is going to sound like pandering, and it's not, okay? But 
Any girl I dated before 1976, I have forgotten because of this one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it just made me forget all the ones that came before. Now, now, um, uh, Paul, I'm sure you had a long list of them before Mary, but they don't matter anymore, you know? Uh, this, this wonderful amnesia, I don't even care about that. I don't care about the pain of that anymore because of the joy that came. And in my case, it's lasted 46 years plus. Okay, Now, isn't it wonderful to think that there is a day coming for them that will make them forget how bad it's... Now, remember, this is, he's talking in future. You're going to forget how bad it's going to be when this day comes. Kind of a wonderful thought. Now, so, uh, let me hand out a couple of other passages here as, as we go forward. John, I'm going to give you a tough one. Can you go to Zephaniah 3.17? Good luck finding that one. Here, here's, here's your help on it. It comes right after Habakkuk. Okay, that, that'll help you. Okay. Uh, uh, and then somebody go to Psalm 9.14. Psalm 9.14. Sally, that'll be great. Okay, now, uh, so they're going to talk about, he's going to talk about in this prediction of good things to come, uh, he's going to say, be glad and rejoice, which are kind of worship words. Um, um, in verse 18, um, and he's going to kind of invoke the idea of Zion or Jerusalem. Um, uh, I create Jerusalem for rejoicing and her people for gladness. So the idea, if you'll think about it, is when they're carted off from the city and the city's in ruins, including the house of worship, they lose their sense of connectivity and corporate worship. Uh, a few weeks back, I've forgotten how long ago this was, maybe four or five weeks ago. There's a, uh, you know, I live on the south side, and there's a, there's a little church, uh, not but a, maybe a mile from my house, that l nearly literally burned the ground. And we found out later that that fire was set. But when I drive by there, there are flies and, and, and uh, kind of dining flies and tents and things set up because these people just want to get together. I, you know, how would it be if we didn't have this place to come to? We'd have to find somewhere, right? So the idea here in verse 18, uh, the city and the temple represented for them access to God. Now you and I know that I don't have to come to church to access God, Right? I come here a couple times a week, and I, I do reconnect with him and reconnect with you. But I can access God anytime. But in the Old Testament, they really, the idea there was Jerusalem was our place to worship, our place to come together uh, to connect with God. Um, uh, Sally, read Psalm 91, uh, sorry, Psalms 914. Have mercy and lift me up from the gates of death, that I may declare your praises in the gates of daughter Zion, and there rejoice in your salvation. So what did we say last week was Zion? Jerusalem. Okay. That's another name for it. It's kind of a poetic name for it. And, and so this idea is so much of their worship life, their connected life, has to do with that city and that temple in particular. 
And that's coming back, he says. Even though they don't know it's going away yet, it's coming back. Okay, so John, read the prophet's words. This is a beautiful thought from Zephaniah 3.17. The Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He will take great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. You remember during 20 and 21, had one of those months where we just wish we could come back together and do this? Uh, I remember uh, being in the sanctuary first Sunday that we were allowed to come back and hearing thousands of voices around me and thinking, oh, I've missed this. You know? Now, it wasn't as many people coming then as there are coming back now. But don't you remember that? Uh, the idea is, um, um, uh, literally, we were probably praying something like uh, is conveyed in this chapter. God, rescue us so that we can worship you. The prophet says what um, John read. That it won't be just you and me. It's not just you and me who worship. Celebration in worship is not just for humans only. He joins us. Uh, there's this wonderful image. So you might want to kind of circle that one under Ryan or whatever. Zephaniah 317. This idea that God rejoices over you. Singing. You know? You ever listen to a mama hold a little baby in her hands and sing to him? Is there anything more precious than that? There's love implied there. There is literally... Not inappropriately, a kind of worship involved in that. I just love this little one. The concept here is, or the mental image I want to catch you to catch, is that God worships over you like that. He celebrates you like that. And so when we come together, I think we never have his attention in much a greater way than when we come together in whatever room you come together to worship him and we're singing about him, don't you know that he joins the chorus? <laughs> That's just a wonderful thought that celebration is not for humans only. It's for um, uh, this this beautiful thing to, to happen together. Um, uh, so the relationship between God and his people will have changed. Now, I want us to go ahead. Uh, John, I'm going to come back to you if I can and have you read 20 down through 25, would you? Days. For an old man who does 
not live out his years. He who dies at a hundred will be thought a mere youth. He who fails to reach a hundred will be considered accursed. They will build houses and dwell in them. They will plant vineyards and eat their fruit. No longer will they build houses and others live in them, or plant and others eat. For as the days of a tree, so will be the days of my people. My chosen ones will long enjoy the works of their hands. They will not toil in vain or bear children doomed to misfortune. For they will be a people blessed by the Lord. They and their descendants with them. Before they call, I will answer. While they are still speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb will feed together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox. But dust will be the serpent's food. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain, says the Lord. Don't get too caught up in that last verse. We'll talk about what that kind of means. It's kind of the idea of... of there's a peace coming that has the potential of being perfect peace. But there is, um, uh, lest I'm tempted again to, to try to make this passage precedent to talking about eternal life in heaven. Uh, he's talking here, if, if, as he begins in verse 20 and 21 that, that John read, he begins to talk about limitations of this life. Now, um, uh, and, and talks a little bit about um, uh, that that weeping will, will kind of change. Now, if you remember, um, if you remember in the first creation, so when you read the first, uh, like if you were to scan the first 11 chapters of the Bible, um, Genesis 1 to 11, you're going to read about people who lived a long, long time. Right? Hundreds of years. And that is literal the same kind of years you and I live. I mean, don't try to press that in there. But in about 6-3, in the sixth chapter of the Bible, um, God says, you know what? I'm going to give this life, I'm going to give you a lifetime. I'm going to give you a lifespan. And he, in, in Genesis 6-3, the lifespan is about 120 years. Okay? Um, and then later, uh, uh, actually it's Moses who also writes the 90th Psalm, and he talks about um, a life expectancy. Now, Rhonda, I'm going to pick on you. Would you go to Psalm 90, read verse 10? Now, you and I think of the Psalms as being written by David, right? And most of them were. This one, I use in a lot of funerals. It was written by Moses, uh, the 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 uh, uh, kind of prologue to Psalm 90 says, uh, written by Moses, the man of God. Uh, so we're going to read verse 10 from Psalm 90. The years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. So 70 years, kind of life expectancy, Right. What was life expectancy in Isaiah's day? So certainly during this Babylonian captivity time, life expectancy for an adult was about 35 years. Now, if you made it past the age of five, it went up to 50 or 60 or 70. But 
All that told, because the infant mortality rate was so off the charts, all told is about 35. Now, by the way, that hasn't changed uh, until fairly recently, guys, just in the last 150 years or so. Okay? Infant mortality rate drags the rest of this down. I, uh, interesting is we drove up from the south side. I, I drove by, uh, uh, you know, we drive up the lake road, and, and I, I saw a place where a thing happened to me years ago at, uh, at the, the lakeside women's hospital right there. I was asked to go see uh, a family that I had not met before. I knew the mother of the mother. So I knew the grandmother of this uh, younger lady who had just delivered an infant, but I didn't know her. Never met her. I just met her mom. And she said, we got bad stuff come, going on. Can you come up here? And, and I went there uh, because... As I recall, the baby was stillborn. At any rate, I'd been told that this baby that we'd look forward to is gone. What caught me off guard, and this was evidently something that Lakeside Renaissance Hospital was doing in those days, and it's probably not a bad thing. I'm not saying it's a bad thing. It just caught me off guard. I walked in the room, having heard, we need you to come because the baby's gone. And there was a bassinet of sorts in the room with a swaddled baby in it. And I had to think for just a minute. What, did, did I get the wrong info? No. And what I, what I saw there is this, this very young mother and grandmother were so desperately grieving but wanting to love this little child that had gone on already. Now, I shared with them what I believe about the um, eternal destiny of infants who die. I hope I encouraged them with that. But right here, it addresses that. Uh, do, do you catch here how, um, um, as, as John began to read in verse 20, no longer will there be an infant who lives but a few days, or in, in the case of this scenario, a few minutes. Uh, or an old man who doesn't live out his days. Uh, it, it will be, uh, uh, the idea is, uh, and this is a little bit of Old Testament hyperbole, but the idea is if you don't live to 100, they'll think, well, what happened to him? <laughs> okay. That's the RSV, the revised Seton version there, but that's kind of what verse 20 is saying. Um, um, uh, isn't it interesting? Uh, I heard um, a, a great thinker about all things grief said in my presence a few years back, isn't it interesting that nobody dies of old age anymore? <laughs> Think about that one. It's always there's some heart ailment or cancer or whatever. But when I was a kid, well, what happened to Harvey? Oh, he died of old age. I mean, you know, that was a common thing. We don't say that anymore, do we? There's kind of this concept that, that even when you come back, life expectancy the new reality features a return to the ideal of the first creation. 
Long life. Um, Now, by the way, this is another indication that this is probably not talking about heaven and eternal life. Because what's the difference between long life and heaven? No death at all. Eternal, everlasting life. Okay, so that kind of helps me with this. Now, verse 21 uh, talks about a vineyard. Uh, A couple weeks ago, Rhonda, we've done so much, I can't remember. Was this a couple weeks ago or was it last week? I think it was a couple weeks ago. We took our daughter to see Hamilton. She knows every word of that. And if you've ever listened to it, uh, hey, a lot of words in there. And she knows every word to it. Uh, I've watched her mouthing them at, at the Civic Center. Uh, you know the story. It's uh, the story of, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a really interesting hip-hop version of a thick book by Ron Chernow that uh, talks about the history, uh, early history of the U.S. But one of the sweet little Songs toward the end of this musical, if you've seen it, is George Washington wanting to go back to his own vine. Anybody know that reference? Oh, he wants to go back to Mount Vernon where his own vines are planted. There's a promise for that here in verse 21. The idea, the mention of vineyards, here. Uh, I want us to catch a couple of these, can we? Uh, somebody go to Ezekiel 28, 26. We'll go there. Ezekiel 28, 26. Karen, thank you for being, uh, being a trooper. Amos 9, 14. Amos 9, 14. Mark, if you'd find that. Um, it, it's interesting, the idea here of the vine. Um, Okay, uh, let's read what the prophets have to say about vineyards and vines and what's coming for them. Okay, Ezekiel 28, 26. Somebody got it. I got it. Thank you, Karen. That was you, wasn't it? Ezekiel 28, 26. Yep. They will live there in safety and will build houses and plant vineyards. They will live in safety when I inflict punishment on all their neighbors who malign them. Then they will know that I am the Lord their God. That's a prediction of this same idea. One of these days, you're going to have your own vineyard again. Okay? Listen to what Amos says about that. Mark? will restore the fortunes of my people Israel, and they shall rebuild the ruined cities and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and drink their wine, and they shall make gardens and eat their fruit. Having your own vineyard was a big deal. Um, uh, it's the idea here, I think. And, and I'm going to give you, I'll just, I'll just reference it. In the second chapter of John, you remember um, they're, they're at the wedding in Cana? And they run out of wine. And uh, Mary actually gets involved in that. Jesus' mother and says, can, uh, uh, can you get involved in this? Uh, there's a lot of direction we could take on that. But what I believe is true of that is that's also true in this prediction about their coming back from captivity in, uh, uh, in Babylon is that the mention of vineyards was a promise of joy. Wine 
always has a correlation of joy in the Bible, certainly in the Old Testament, but even in places like John 2, joy. I know your joy is gone now, but it, it's going to return. That's it, kind of this promise of joy. Now, I, I put some references uh, next to verse 22. We won't go there for right now, but, but the idea is... Um, a change in ownership. So if, as you read verse 22, it's interesting here. If you read Deuteronomy 6, uh, the promise is uh, from Moses, the promise is uh, to the people of Israel. When we, get <coughs> when we get to the promised land, you're going to live in houses that you didn't build. You're going to harvest gardens you didn't plant. Well, they're going to lose all that in this time that's coming with Isaiah. Because the Babylonians move in and do what they did in Deuteronomy. Okay? Whatever goes around comes around here. But he says, when you come back, when you come back, there will be a ch another change in ownership. Now, by the way, one of the, one of the references I put in here, this is kind of interesting to me. I hadn't really thought about this. You ever heard the term, gone to the dogs? You ever go back to a home where you used to live, and it has literally, quote, gone to the dogs, end quote? Um, I, I think occasionally, I'll, when I'm anywhere close to Midwest City, I'll drive by the, the home where I grew up, and, and my Mom's yard was always something. Uh, uh, on the west side of the house, there was a rose garden that was just, you know, she took flowers to the church every Sunday because her rose garden was such, all oh, that's kind of messed up now. I mean, you know, whoever lives there now or has lived there or whatever hadn't really kept up with The reference is kind of this one here, and there are a couple of references here from, from uh, places like uh, in Jeremiah where what literally happened uh, to some of this property is without it being inhabited, animals took it over. So when they came back, they had to run the coyotes out of here. Literally, Jeremiah says, you're going to find that jackals will have taken over. It went to the dogs. But you're coming back. You're going to rebuild your house. You're going to plant your vineyard. What a beautiful promise here. In verse 23, there's kind of a summary of the life that's yet to come for them. Um, uh, the idea, uh, you won't labor in vain. You won't bear children for calamity. Um, and that beautiful thought, don't you wish we could kind of hang on to that thought now? And then verse 24 uh, John, even as you read that a little bit ago, I thought, what a promise, the best possible promise. This, this beauty here in verse 24, it will also come to pass that before you call, I will answer. And while you're still speaking, I will hear. <laughs> when you pray, God knows what you're going to pray. So that, does that give you like then I shouldn't pray. Mm -mm. Before you call, I will answer. It, it, it's interesting that sometimes you need to kind of be aware that there are times when you're pouring your heart out at him and he's saying, man, I'm glad you finally brought this to me. Before you call, 
I will answer the best promise. And then the last verse, that don't take it too literally, but it speaks of an ideal reality. Okay, so I'm reading a book that's really thick. Now, it's interesting. I read thick books. This is not thick, but the words are thick. So, you know, I have to, I can't be watching cartoons when I read this. So, um, it's uh, Albert Walter's Creation Regained. And that, I thought about this when I was doing some of this reading and prep earlier this week. Here's what he says. The fact is that the same creator God and the same sovereign power that called the cosmos into existence in the beginning has kept that cosmos in existence from moment to moment to this very day. And this book, which is called Creation Regained, is the thought of what God is in the process of rebuilding and renewing and recreating. So I want to, here's your last thought, okay? It is not education that's going to recreate our world. Now, I work in higher ed for the next 50 days, okay? But it's not higher ed that's going to recreate our world. It's not government that's going to create, recreate our world. I, I'm kind of relieved about that. I don't know about you. It's not politics that's going to recreate our world. It's not the economy. If you're looking for a new world, remember it is God and God alone who does the recreating. My advice, let him recreate you. Uh, the Bible says, among other places, in 2 Corinthians 5.17, it says, um, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has gone. The new has come. Uh, maybe consider, if you're worried about the shape of our world, like I am, Begin with letting him recreate you. Wouldn't it be wonderful if he just kind of, uh, we don't want him to do this in a lot of ways. You don't want him to wipe the slate clean. But I'm telling you, when I think about um, um, my little uh, residents of Michigan that are uh, 6 and uh, 8 and 12 and 13, I, I don't want him to grow up in this world. I don't want... I worry about, Jeff, you and I talked the other, other day, I, I worry about the, the world that I'm leaving them, that they're inheriting. And sometimes I, I want to say, God, why you, can you start all over? <coughs> and sometimes he says, I got this. I'm working on it. Even though what you read in the paper doesn't seem like it. If this world, if this universe is ever going to be recreated new, it will be him and him alone who does it. I think I better trust him. What do you think? There's some promises here you and I ought to hang on to. God bless you. Thank you for hanging on here. Uh, we'll be with Brother Paul next week talking about Abraham's offspring. And in, in Galatians 4. Thanks, gang. See ya. <laughs>